Well, turning your Bibles to 1 Samuel 18, we're continuing, of course, our study of 1 Samuel, and we're seeing the lives of David and Saul and Jonathan, and there's a lot that we can learn. When you think about it, Paul wrote in the New Testament, he said, you know, the things that were written in the Old Testament were written for our instructions. So the truth is, there's all kind of things in the Bible, especially the Old Testament, that we can know and apply and help us. This morning, we're going to look at David, and we're going to look at David and his relationship with Jonathan, and then David and his relationship with Saul. And of course, just in case you're not familiar, David, of course, is a young boy, he's about 15 years old. Jonathan is Saul's son. Saul is the king of Israel at this time. Saul's already been rejected by God as being the king. David has already been anointed by God as the king. It just hadn't happened yet. So that's the relationships we've been seeing. David has just killed Goliath. That's a famous story. Most of you knew that. We saw that last time. As we look, uh, David is, is going to be getting uh, recognized as a hero. What's that going to do to Saul? And so as we look at this, we see friendships between David and Jonathan, but we see jealousy between David and Saul. And we'll explain more about that as we get through it. But let me just start off by saying this about friendships, because we're going to see the friendship of David and uh, Jonathan this morning. Everybody needs friends. We all need friends and friendships, and we're in the body of Christ. We're called children of God, and we're the family of God, and, and, but we need it. And when you start thinking about women and men, how they're different, women, uh, you know, they seem to be more social in some ways, and women maybe who don't even know each other, they can start talking to each other in about five minutes. They look like they've been friends for, you know, 20 years, and men get together, and they just kind of, you know, nod at each other and thanks for a while. And, and one of the reasons I want to highlight this on men is because we're going to see Jonathan and David. And see, for men, men need uh, close relationships. We need friends. We need fellows. We need guys with us. And we'll talk more about it as we get into this. As we look this morning, we're going to see David and Jonathan and the love from both of them for each other. And then we're going to see David and Saul. And we see that Saul actually hates David. He's jealous of David. And we see how David responds. So let me remind you of where we are. David has just, at 15, 14 years old, has killed Goliath, hit him in the head with a stone, went right there, fell over. David went over, pulled out Goliath's sword, cut off his head, held it up. All the Philistines ran off. The Jews ran after him, had a great victory. Saul, meanwhile, says, okay, wait, I know who that guy is, but who is his family? Because I'd made this deal. If you remember that Saul had made a deal that the king promised that whoever killed Goliath would be at wealth, would marry one of his daughters, and would not pay taxes. We can tell from last week at the end that Saul was asking who was David's family. And that best we can understand, maybe Saul was doing that so they wouldn't have to pay any taxes. The other question is, Saul going to give David a bunch of money? And is Saul going to marry, uh, let David marry one of his daughters? Well, we'll see what happens. In fact, as the weeks to come, we'll see that uh, just like we expect, uh, Saul doesn't keep his word. Saul is not a man of character. Let me just remind you that we've already seen that Saul is a jealous man. Saul is taller and more handsome than anybody else in Israel, and yet he's jealous. He was jealous of his son. His son had a great victory, and Saul took credit for it. One of the last things we saw Saul do is he had a victory in a battle, and he made a statue, a memorial to himself for winning the victory. We know that Saul was actually jealous of his own son, Jonathan. And now we're going to see that David has gone become a hero. He has just killed Goliath. What's that going to do to Saul? What's going to happen? And so in our outline for the study, we're just going to look at the first 11 verses. I'm going to highlight something else for you as we look at this. But we're going to see David and Jonathan, their friendship. We're going to see David and Saul and the hatred that comes there. Saul is jealous of David. And then even in the passage, before we get through this morning, 11 verses, uh, Saul is going to try to kill David. So uh, we're seeing it's all 
already really bad. So let, let's start and let's look at the passage. First Samuel 18, look at verse 1. David has just killed Goliath. When he got through killing Goliath, he brought the head back, actually brought it back to, uh, he's going to eventually take it to Jerusalem, but he brings it back to where Saul is, and Saul is finding out who his family is. So look at chapter 18, verse 1. Now, it came about when he had finished speaking to Saul. Now, that's when David was telling Saul who his family was, that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and that Jonathan loved him as himself. Now, it says that when he came back, that he had finished speaking, that he's probably going to cancel out the taxes and everything. We see this friendship this friendship between David and Jonathan. And notice it says that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. I mean, it's pretty powerful there. And it says, and Jonathan loved him as himself. The soul of those two, they were knit together. It's one of those things that they just match. And I think what you're going to find, and probably in your life maybe, uh, that there's been somebody along the way that, that you got to be friends with, and you go, man, this guy is just, he's my buddy. He's my best friend. He's just right there with me. And there's maybe a girl with, with a girl. There's somebody, and, and this is what's happening. Immediately, Jonathan recognizes what kind of person David is. We've already seen that Jonathan is one of the great men in the Bible. He, is, he is, loves God, he obeys God, he's a great man, and when he connects with David, it's almost like these two are brought together. They're just two great men who come together. And I'm, probably in your life, maybe have you ever matched with another guy? In my life, I've had several guys that it's just like they're my best friend. I mean, they, we just match. And by the way, men need close Close guys, we really do. And uh, in our country, in our world, in our culture, it's like, oh, you've got to be independent. You've got to be, you know, got to do your own thing, and you don't need anybody else. Well, the truth is we need everybody. And when you talk about the body of Christ, the Bible, God put the body together, different gifts, talents, and abilities so we can relate to each other and care about each other. For men, that's what we need to do. In fact, we need somebody that you can talk to about the Bible with and somebody you can help with your family, somebody you can talk about a job, somebody you can talk about sports. And what we realize in this passage is that God has put Jonathan and David together. And let me tell you, as time goes by, you're going to find out that Jonathan needs David and David needs Jonathan. And uh, so I hope and pray, especially men, I'm just talking to men right now, I hope and pray that you, you have at least one guy in your life that's close, that you could say, that's my friend, and I can talk to him about anything, I can get with this guy, we match, it's just so fun to be together. There, I have uh, several people, I have, I have three people for sure, three people. Uh, one doesn't live here, and one I text every day, he and I text every day. And we talk a lot. And then I have two that actually live here that are guys that I would think that I could call anytime, day or night. And they'd be right there. They're my friends. They're my close friends. And every man needs people like that. Let me show you about the life of David and Jonathan, what we find because of their friendship. We find that they shared common values. They find that they loved each other. And be careful because it, it'll say that Jonathan loved David as himself. And I've had people say, oh, so it must have been some kind of... Lo-. No, no. It's two men caring about each other. And so they loved each other. They, they were friends that delighted in each other. They were loyal to each other. We see that as we'll go through the passages. They interceded for each other and they sacrificed for each other. That's what friends do. And, and guys, we need guys in our lives that'll be there for us like that. Got to have that, and that's what we need. And so may we do that. By the way, we're in a battle. 
We're in a battle. It's a spiritual battle. It's a battle for our families, for our country, and for our churches, and for our communities. Well, look what happened. So they, they just matched right then. Saul, verse 2, Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. If you remember that David had already been picked to come play uh, music for Saul. Saul had trouble. He'd get this bad spirit, so to speak, and he'd kind of go crazy. And David would come and play music, and it would help Saul feel better. So Saul, David would go back and forth from his house in Bethlehem to where Saul was. Well, this last time, if you remember, Saul, David's father sent him to the front lines to be with his brothers and take them some food. When he got to the front lines, he ends up fighting Goliath. Now Saul says, okay, you're not going back home. You're going to stay with me from now on. That's what happens in verse 2. Then look at verse 3. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Now that day, he, he, uh, he connected with him, and it was, they made a covenant with each other. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. It's an agreement. A covenant was something that people, uh, they called it cutting a covenant. I'll explain it to you in just a minute. Look what goes on to happen. Let me just read the next verse, and then we'll come back. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor, including his sword and his bow and his belt. So they made a covenant that day. In that day and time, if you were making an agreement, a covenant, a deal, you and another person that were making this deal would take an animal and they'd cut the animal in two and they'd take one half of the animal put over here, they'd take the other half of the animal put over there. The guys would join arms and go in between those animals and that's symbolically saying we're united together and we've made a deal and we're going to keep the deal and if we don't keep the deal, we'll get cut in two. That was kind of the analogy. The idea is we're, we're going to keep our word. And we're going to see that Jonathan made a covenant with David. Now, I don't think they killed an animal right there. I think what happened is Jonathan did something different. He took off his robe, and he took off his armor, and he gave him his sword and his bow and his belt, and he basically said, here's my deal. I'm giving this to you. We're going to be together from now on. We're going to be buddies. We're going to fight together. We're going to live together. We're going to, we're going to make it happen. We're going, to, we're going to stand for God together. And that's what I think happens here. And, and so he stripped himself of his robe and his armor and his sword and his belt. And, and it showed great respect and friendship. By the way, to give the robe and armor to David, that was the highest thing. This is, this is the, the, the if, if Saul died, Jonathan is supposed to be the next king. Here is the next king of Israel, although David really is. He's giving him all this stuff. And he's basically saying, you are equal with me. We're together in life. Later on, Jonathan is such a great man that when Jonathan finds out that God has picked David to be the next king, Jonathan comes to David and says, you're going to be king and I'll serve under you. That's the kind of man he was. He was an amazing guy. And so we see that this highest honor. Now, let's stop for a minute. I'm just going to take about three, four minutes, and I'm going to explain something to you from the Bible. Most of you know it. If you've ever had the, my 2-2 study or some other different things, you know this. But he talks about covenants. It says, Jonathan made a covenant. A covenant is agreement. A covenant, and God makes covenants. Sometimes people make covenants with each other. They make agreements in the Bible. But also in the Bible, God made covenants with mankind. And, and we're gonna see, I want you to see those, and I want you to see how they fit together. God relates to man in covenants. And a covenant is agreement between two parties. And two covenants that God made with man as a whole. Now, God makes what we call unconditional covenants 
and conditional covenants. Unconditional covenant is God says, I will do something, and we don't have to do anything. He has made two covenants with mankind as a whole that are unconditional covenants. One of them is called the Adamic covenant, the other is called the Noahic covenant. Now, the Adamic covenant goes back to Adam, and here's what God promised. When Adam and Eve sinned and fell, God comes and says, the seed of woman will crush the head of the serpent. God made a covenant and promised he would send a Messiah, he would send a Savior to be the Savior of the world that would pay for man's sin and bring a way to have life and relationship with God. It's called the Abrahamic Covenant. It ha- excuse me, called the Adamic Covenant. And that was Adam to Noah, and Noah to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, down to, J- uh, to Judah, down to David, all the way down to Christ. Christ is the fulfillment of that covenant. And it's an unconditional covenant. It's salvation for mankind. There's a second covenant that God made with mankind as a whole. It's called the Noahic Covenant, which is made with Noah. And after they came off the ark, they were on the ark for 370 days. After they came off the ark, after the flood, God said, I'm going to make a covenant. I'm going to make an agreement. I will never flood the world again. Now, it didn't mean local floods. He meant a complete flood. It's called the Noahic Covenant, and he never flooded the world again. He gave a sign of a rainbow, and the bottom line is God said, I make that promise. You don't have to do anything. It's my covenant with mankind. So there are two covenants that God made with mankind as a whole. Now, with the nation of Israel, God made five covenants. Now, these are with the nation of Israel. He made four unconditional covenants with them and one conditional covenant with them. I want you to understand this. He made an unconditional covenant. He called it the Abrahamic covenant. He made it with a man named Abram in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. God came to him and said, I want you to leave where you're living. He was living in the Ur of the Chaldees, which is the southern part of Iraq modern-day Iraq, and told him, I want you to leave and go to a land that I will show you and then I will give you. And he promised him a land, a seed, and a blessing. A seed would be an offspring, and that offspring would be the Messiah. And then a blessing, he said, I will bless those that bless you, I will curse those that curse you, and in you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. That's the Messiah, the Savior. So Abraham was promised that. It was found in Genesis 12, 15, 17, 18, 22. It's just all over the place that God promised this to Abraham. Now, that's called the Abrahamic covenant. It's made with the nation of Israel because Abraham Abraham was the very first Jewish person, and that's the land, the seed, the blessing. Now, he's going to come back, and he's going to make three more covenants, and they all tie in to the land and the seed and the blessing. So the second unconditional covenant was called the Palestinian to the land covenant. He actually said, I promise you a certain amount of land. It's in Genesis 15 and Genesis 17 and Psalm 18. He actually tells the land. It's an unconditional covenant. When people are arguing, who does the land belong to, Israel or the Palestinian? It belongs to the nation of Israel given to them by God. The Palestinian, it's called the Palestinian covenant, the land covenant. There is the third unconditional covenant was called the Davidic covenant. It's found in 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 through 17. Eventually, we will get to it in our study. As God said to David, David, one of your sons, one of your descendants will be the Messiah, and he will sit on the throne of Israel forever. That's 
the seed aspect of it, and that's the Davidic covenant. And sure enough, Jesus Christ is the son of David. If you remember when we studied the gospel of John and Matthew and Mark and all those different studies, that especially Matthew, he was called the son of David. And then the fourth unconditional covenant was called the new covenant. It was actually written and found in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. It deals with blessings. It says that God is going to bless the nation of Israel and that they will come to know the Messiah, Savior. The new covenant actually began when Jesus Christ died on the cross. Because if you remember the night before he went to the cross, he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. And so those four unconditional covenants, Abrahamic, and then the Palestinian, the Davidic, and the, uh, the new covenant all tie together. They're all in effect, but they will not be fulfilled until Jesus comes as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. All will be fulfilled when Jesus comes. Remember the timeline here, Jesus died and rose again. There's going to be the church, the rapture, the tribulation. And when Jesus comes the second time as the king, he sets it up and he comes as the king, the son of David. He takes the land. He rules, and there's blessing on the whole world. That's the fulfillment of those four unconditional covenants. Israel doesn't have to do anything. God does it all. God made a conditional covenant with the nation of Israel. We call it the Mosaic Law. The Mosaic Covenant is based on Israel's obedience. When they came out of Egypt, they went to Mount Sinai. It's also called Mount Horeb. Moses went up on the top. He got the top 10 commandments. He came back down. At another point in time, God gave to them another uh, 500 and something uh, laws and things. And so the Mosaic Law is, is given to Israel, and it's a conditional covenant. If you obey, there's blessing. If you disobey, there's cursing. If you obey, you get to live in the land. If you disobey, he'll remove them from the land. It's called the Mosaic Law. The Mosaic Law was only for the nation of Israel and only for a certain period of time. It started at Mount Sinai. It ended at the death of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that Christ is the end of the law to all who believe. There are some Christians today that try to put believers under Mosaic Law. They say that's how we're supposed to live the Christian life is put ourselves under the Mosaic Law. We have never been under the Mosaic Law. We will never be under the Mosaic Law. The Mosaic Law was for the nation of Israel from the time of Mount Sinai till Jesus died on the cross and paid for sin because that was the different covenant there. So that's the four unconditional covenants and the one conditional covenant. I just want you to understand that, see how all that fits together. That's how the Bible flows. And so when, when Jesus on that last night and he was having what they call, what we call the Last Supper, and when he was having uh, the Passover meal and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant, that's what the nation of Israel. Some people think that's the church. Church hadn't even started yet. That's the nation of Israel. Anyway, so I just wanted you to grasp that now. So we see that Jonathan and David have become buddies, <laughs> really good friends. So watch what happens. So verse 5, uh, so David went out wherever Saul sent him and prospered. And Saul sent him over the men of war. And he was pleased in the sight of all the people, also in the sight of Saul's service. And that's just a general statement. It's just telling us that David obeyed the king. Now, let me tell you something. We've been seeing this over and over and over. David was faithful in little. And now he's faithful and big. He was faithful to do what his father told him to do. He was faithful to do what anybody told him to do. And now he's faithful to do big things. He did little things like take care of some sheep. He did little things like bring some food. Now he's done big things like kill Goliath. Now he's done big things like he's going to be a leader in the nation of Israel. So it's really, really powerful. Now, watch what happens. Verse 6. 
<clears throat> it happens as they were returning, when they were coming, when David returned from killing the Philistine, that the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul and tambourines with music, and joy and musical instruments. And the, the, the women sang as they played and said, Saul has slayed his thousands and David his ten thousands. Now, it's pretty common that if you had a great victory and you came back to your cities, the women would come out and they would dance and sing and cheer. And, I mean, because you won. That was big. That was big. And so when they come back, the women are there and they all say this. They say, Saul has slain his thousands and David his Ten thousands. Now, they weren't really trying to compare, and they weren't really saying David killed more than uh, Saul, but they were just shouting and cheering because Saul, you know, that David had this huge victory over Goliath and everything, and so all the people are cheering, and it's really good. But let me ask you the question. What do you think Saul is going to do when he hears this? We already know about Saul. Well, no, what was Saul's response? He's a man of pride. Do you remember he already took credit when Jonathan had a victory? Saul said it was his victory. What do you think is going to happen now that people are saying, David is great. David killed ten thousands. Saul killed thousands. David, Saul goes, wait, wait a minute. I'm the king here, you know. I'm the hero, you know. I'm the one that's supposed to be getting all the cheering. What will his response be? Well, I think we already know, and we'll see it in the next verse. Let me ask you a question. What is your response to praise? Because we see David, when they praise David, you know what David does? David just goes, thanks, Lord. What do you do when you get praised? What's your response? What is, how do we respond to praise? Is it humility? Because if it's humility, we're ready for God to use us. But if it's pride, we're not ready for God to use us. You know, if God uses you, and he uses every one of you, and if he uses you to do something, and you lead somebody to Christ, or you teach somebody something, or you help somebody do something, and they say, boy, thank you so much, you're the greatest, just say, ah, grace of God, he's so good. He takes us, and he takes these bodies, and these minds, and he uses them for his glory. And we ought to say, thank you, Lord, humility, not pride. Well, what's going to happen? Look at Saul. Then Saul, verse 8, we, we already figured this one out. Then Saul became very angry for this saying displeased him. And he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, but to me they've ascribed thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? Now he's became very angry. Literally, he became displeased. The word uh, for anger there means to burn within. It has an idea of burning. Uh, I don't know if you realize this, but one of the Hebrew words for anger is like, uh, you, it's a hot nose. It's a burned nose. It's like you're really mad. One of the, when one of the places in the Old Testament, when it talks about God's wrath, it, it talked about God's nose burned. And that's the idea of he's mad and he's angry. And, and you know, you've heard people say, boy, that guy was hot. Boy, he really was hot. Yeah, he's mad. And that's where it, it comes from. And so Saul is angry. He's burned. He's mad. He's, he's really displeased that, that this happened. And, and that, uh, you, you know, uh, he, he, look how he ends it. Oh, what more can he have but, but the kingdom? He says uh, he wants to be the king. He doesn't realize that he already is the king. David already is the king. Saul just doesn't know it yet. Saul hadn't understood it yet. God's already said, I'm rejecting Saul from being king. God's already taken the Holy Spirit away from Saul. God has already anointed David as king, and God has already given the Holy Spirit to David. So Saul could say, Whew, if they keep this up, he, he thinks he might be the king. He already is the king. He just doesn't know it yet. 
How do you respond when somebody else is honored instead of you? Say you're working on some project or something, and somebody goes, well, I'll tell you, that guy right there, he was the greatest. And you go, well, I did stuff too, you know. How do we respond? How do we respond when somebody's honored? Is it joy or jealousy? Is it happy or angry? Is it rejoicing or is it rage? I mean, how do we respond? And the truth is, we, jealousy will eat you alive. Envy will eat you alive. When, 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 when somebody else gets something good happen to them, as the body of Christ, we need to rejoice. In fact, the Bible says we rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep. And when something happens to somebody else, we just got to trust God. And, and watch what happens here. We realize that Saul had loved David, but now he hates David. Now he hates David. He's filled with jealousy. And by the way, what you are on the inside eventually comes out. And Saul is a jealous, angry man who is prideful and is eventually going to come out. David is a man of God who has a man after God's own heart. And we're going to see that Saul, what's coming out of Saul is bad. Look, look at verse 9. Saul looked at David with suspicion from that day on. Let me ask you a question. What had David done wrong? Absolutely nothing. He'd been faithful to do what his father said. He'd been faithful to do what Saul said. He has been faithful to kill Goliath. He is faithful to do anything they ask him to do. Faithful in that which is little, faithful in that which is big. And now Saul is suspicious of him. Saul looked at David with suspicion from that time on. There may be somebody in your life that hates you. And you say, what did I ever do to them? And the answer is nothing. They're just going to hate you because they're, they're a jealous person or they're an angry person or an envious person. And let me tell you, that lack of forgiveness and that envy and that jealousy will destroy you. If you are jealous of someone and you're envious of someone and you're angry about all that, it'll eventually destroy you. It destroys Saul. So if you're angry at somebody, forgive them. Don't be jealous. Just trust God. Say, Lord, that, that's what you have for them. You know, I can still, uh, if, you, if you remember in John 21 where Jesus is walking with Peter and he's telling him, feed my sheep and feed my sheep and all this, and they're walking and they look behind him and there's John, the guy who wrote the Gospel of John, who's great. And Peter says, well, what about that guy? And Jesus said, don't worry about him. Just worry about what I told you. <laughs> and it's really true. We look around and say, what about them? But don't worry about them. Just do what God has for you to do and don't worry about it. So watch what happens, verse 10. Now it came about on the next day, an evil spirit from God came mightily upon Saul and he raved in the midst of the house while David was playing the harp with the scene as usual and a spear was in Saul's hand. Let me just tell you, that when Saul is raving, you don't want a spear in his hand, Okay. And so let's think about this. As the next day, an evil spirit from the Lord has come upon him. We talked about this several weeks ago because uh, we don't know what that is. We're not sure. Uh, people say, what does it mean, an evil spirit from the Lord? Well, there's, there's two or three things, and we talked about it several weeks ago. We said it could mean that God allows a demonic spirit to affect him. Or it could mean that there's a spirit, uh, like a good angel or something, uh, affecting him in some way. Or it even could be the idea that he's letting this evil spirit which is inside Saul, which is Saul's anger, come out. We don't know. I guess if I was guessing and, and say this is not biblical because it's not, the Bible doesn't say, it's, I would probably lean more toward an evil spirit that God allows, God just allows it to happen. And so Saul, <clears throat> notice what it says, 
<clears throat> it came about on that next day that an evil spirit from God came mightily upon Saul, and he raved in the midst of the house. Now, the word raved is the word for prophesy. He's shouting and screaming and talking, and he's going back and forth and crazy, and he's got a spear in his hand. And he's just making, and so you know what's happened. They've called David and said, you better come play. He's going crazy in here. So David's in there playing music on that harp or on that instrument, hoping to calm Saul down. That's what he's been used for. But apparently it's not working because he's going back and forth and he's raving and he's making all kind of statements. And then look what happens. The end of the verse says, and there was a spear in Saul's hand. Saul hurled the spear for, the, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped from his presence twice. You could almost see this, that Saul had that spear and he saw David and he just threw it and David got out of the way and it hit the wall. His plan was the spear to go all the way through David and pin him to the wall. He was trying to kill David. Now let me ask you a question. What had David done to deserve that? Absolutely nothing. There are going to be times in your life that somebody is going to try to hurt you on purpose and you've never done anything to them. Just happens. Just happens sometimes. It says that David escaped from his presence twice. You think he threw another one? I mean, if I'm David, I think I would have left after the first one. But I don't know. Maybe, maybe he did it twice. Maybe he did it really fast. Who knows? We've seen the jealousy and the anger and the hatred has come out. So here's some questions that we think about. What, what's David going to do? What will David do? What will Jonathan do, who's his best friend, and what will Saul do? And so next time, we're going to see Saul's plan, Saul's plan to get rid of David. And we'll see that. Let me give you some applications. The first one is, let's build strong relationships with others. Let's do it. We're, we can't go through the Christian life by ourselves. Never meant to be that way. One of the reasons God says, don't forsake the assembly of yourself. In other words, the reason God says believers need to meet together, uh, to worship together, is because we need each other. We need the gifts, talents, and abilities, the encouragement, and all of those things. I want to focus just on men for just a second because this passage deals with men. You need, you need some guys. We all need guys. We need them. We need them to help us. We need others because we realize we're in a spiritual battle with our families and our church and our community and our world, and we need each other, and we need the friends, and we need these things that we have seen who have common values and love each other, and we're faithful and loyal to each other, intercede and sacrifice. That's the same thing that David and Jonathan did, and that's what we need, and so guys, find somebody. If you don't have somebody in your life that you can talk to that's your friend, that you just say, this is my best friend. You need, to, you need to find one because we're not supposed to go through life by ourselves. We need each other. The second thing is understand, let's understand the covenants. I just gave you a quick overview of the covenants from the Bible. God made two unconditional covenants with all mankind. That's the Adamic covenant, which is the Messiah, and that's the Noahic covenant, which is dealing with the flood. We also see that God made the covenants with Israel, four unconditional and one conditional. The conditional covenant ended at the death of Christ. That's the Mosaic law. The four unconditional covenants will all be fulfilled completely when Jesus comes as the king. And we know when he comes the second time as the king of kings and the Lord of lords, he will sit on the throne of David in Jerusalem. He will rule. He will be a blessing to the whole world. And uh, it, they'll have their land and everything. And that's the fulfillment at that point in time. The third, the third thing I just want you to think about is let's rejoice when a person, with a person whenever they get honored. 
I mean, because sometimes, you know, we get jealous when somebody, something good happens to somebody, but we need to, we need to not do that. We, remember, the whole key is just be faithful in little things and big things. And when we think about it, envy destroys us from within, and it will. It destroys Saul. It destroys Saul. You keep reading, keep studying, we'll eventually get to the end of this, of this book, and we're going to see what happens. And just remember this, and this is a key. Others' success does not mean we failed. You understand that? You know, I was watching uh, the NCAA baseball championship. It just so happens Mississippi State, they've never won a national, you know, I coached there for eight years at Mississippi State. We never won a national championship. That was the first one they've ever won. Uh, Oklahoma State's won, I think, what, 54 national championships. But, so it's, but when Mississippi State won, they were all cheering and jumping around and you looked at Vanderbilt and they were all sad. I want to say, look, you didn't fail. You just didn't win. I mean, there's a, there, you didn't fail. Somebody on a game, somebody's going to win, somebody's going to lose. And just because somebody else gets honored or something else good, that doesn't mean we have to be envious of it or jealous of it or upset about it. We want to rejoice with those who rejoice, and we want to cry with those who cry.